There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. You don't have to be alone to feel the pain of loneliness. King David felt it when he was hiding in a crowded cave with 400 other men. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares the story behind that experience, which prompted one of the most powerful psalms on loneliness and how to overcome it. To introduce today's powerful message, God sees and hears you, here's David. You know, I have a lot of favorite passages in the Bible, and one of my favorite psalms is the one we're going to study today and again on Monday, Psalm 142. During one particularly trying time, David was lonely and discouraged. He'd been abandoned by his friends. King Saul was after him, and he was worried for his very life. And in the midst of the trial, he poured out his heart to God, and the words that he wrote reveal a way for us to get out of our aloneness and our feeling of being left in our own mess with no one to help us. God was there for David, and he will be there for you. If you want to know how to get from a sigh to a song, Psalm 142 is about the best place you could ever look. We're going to study it here in just a few moments. But before we get to our personal study of this psalm, let me tell you that all of the words that I'm going to share with you are in a book called Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. And this 208-page gift book is yours for the asking. All you have to do is send a gift to Turning Point of any size during the month of January to help us with the cost of radio uh, production and uh, and airtime. And when you do that, just say, please send me the book. We'll send it to you. When you invest in Turning Point, we want to invest again back in your life as we do every day on the radio, but this time with printed information that will help you gain value in your walk with the Lord. So be sure and ask for your copy of Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of January. And now here is part one of God Sees You and He Hears You. Here is a story of a preacher who, after 18 years of ministry, quit and went into the business world lonely, discouraged, and defeated. No, I don't know him, and I've never met him, but he could be any number of people that I have met. He could be one or two of you in your situation. And if we could, we could put him back into the time of the Psalms, and he would fit perfectly. For he is the modern-day expression of the psalmist words. Listen to his explanation of what happened to him after 18 years of serving God. He said, I realized those years had made me look and feel 10 years older than I was. I had spent those years holding people's hands, smoothing out countless interpersonal battles, working through church struggles, preaching how many hundreds of sermons, baptizing people, marrying them, burying them. As the church grew, so did the traffic to my office. 
I was not surprised at this, he wrote, nor was I unaware of my calling, the demands I had to face in serving. But in all that time, I could not find a confidant, not even my wife, because most of the human problems I dealt with were confidential. I could not find someone who could simply listen and pray with me. While I struggled to find new and fresh sermon material, time for my own relaxed devotional life disappeared. When the Church reached 1,200 members from the first 300, it was a sign of the great blessing of God upon my work. I accepted that and I thanked God for it, but at the same time I found myself even more lonely as the demands of my time tripled. My family was growing up and away from me. When I saw my children graduate from high school and then college, I realized I hardly knew them. I knew then I had to do something, though I was a little late. I concluded I could not abide the lonely road any longer. As much as I sensed I was leaving an arena with its joys and triumphs as well as its sorrows and tensions, I knew I had to find some area of work where I could establish normal human relationships. Maybe, he wrote, I was just not cut out to be a leader after all. Those are sad words. And if I were preaching to preachers, every one of your heads would be bobbing up and down. But the words are not much different than the words we have read from Psalm 142. They're the words of a lonely person who cries out in his loneliness for help. The 142nd Psalm is a beautiful presentation of the cycle of discouragement through which every person goes at one time or another in his life. You will notice as you look at the top of the psalm, the heading calls it a Maskil psalm. Bible scholars are not exactly sure what that term means. It is some kind of Hebrew annotation to describe how the psalm is to be applied in the Hebrew worship. If we had time, we would list for you the 14 psalms that have that heading over it. That is not the important thing in the superscription over the psalm. The important thing is the phrase which sets the psalm in its historical perspective. For right next to the word maskil, there is this phrase, a prayer when David was in the cave. Now it's interesting to try to figure out where this fits in the life of David. For if we can figure out where David is when he prays this prayer, we can understand more of that which is going on in his life, which triggered these words from his heart and from his lips. As you go back into history, you discover that there are two caves in the life of David which are mentioned at one time or another in his experience. First of all, in 1 Samuel 24, there's a reference to the cave of Engedi. And though you may not recognize that name, I'm sure you know if I tell you that there is something special that happened there. That was the cave where David cut off a piece of Saul's skirt without Saul knowing about it. You remember that story. But as we try to take the events of the psalm as David describes it and the events of what happened in the cave of En Gedi, they don't mesh, they don't fit. And so most scholars do not believe that this psalm comes out of that experience. However, there is another cave that is mentioned in the life of David called the Cave of Adullam. 
And I'd like for you to turn with me back to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 22, where we have the mention of David's involvement with this cave. And it will help us to look at that so that we can put this psalm in its perspective and understand it better. Now, the greater context of 1 Samuel 22 is that David is running away from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. He's jealous, he's angry, he's mad. He sees David as his arch rival. He's chased him all over the countryside and he's after his head. Finally, we read in 1 Samuel 22 these words. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave, the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. David is running from Saul. He now finds a place of refuge, and look at the description of the people who come to be his cohorts and his comforters. Everyone who is distressed, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented. 400 strong of those people come to gather themselves around David as he's running away from Saul. And in the midst of that experience, in the cave of Adullam, David writes the words that are given to us in the 142nd Psalm. It seems rather strange that he describes his loneliness until we understand the kind of people who are around him. But it isn't hard to figure out how the kind of people who are described in 1 Samuel 22 would make a man of David's caliber feel rather lonely when he was thrown in among them. They certainly weren't the kind of people he could go to and confide in. They weren't any comfort to him. And here he is, a refugee from the wrath of the most powerful man in the land, and he's holed up with the 400 men described in 1 Samuel 22. And so now he sits down to write, and he writes the words which we've just read, and he describes how he feels. And I'm so grateful that he has done that because it makes me feel better to read how David felt in that situation. He's very descriptive. He goes into great detail to describe the emotional feelings of being alone. I've read tons of literature on loneliness in preparation for these messages. I haven't read anything that comes close to the beauty of the language and the emotional overtones of David's description of what he felt. Let's trace through the experience of this man and his emotions. The first thing he says in verse 3 is that he is disoriented. He is disoriented. He says, my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Like some fierce flood has rushed down upon him and he can barely stand up against its might. Literally, what the phrase means is this, that his spirit is muffled upon him. When his way and his spirit is so wrapped up in trouble and gloom, his spirit is muffled within him. And it's a very picturesque phrase of his spirit trying to reach out and express himself. But even that is muffled and is overwhelmed. He's lost his way. He can't figure out what to do. He's totally disoriented. His powers of judgment are gone. And there he is. He goes on to say that not only is he disoriented, but he's deserted. Notice verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man. 
Refuge failed me in these lonely words. No man cared for my soul. Total abandonment, rejection, isolation, hunted by Saul, abandoned by his friends, surrounded by the offscurring of the world, David was alone. Disoriented and deserted, he goes on to say that the result of those two things in his life caused depression. He was depressed. Verse 6, I am brought very low. Literally, it means to go into a valley experience emotionally, to be brought down to the lowest ebb of human life. He now turns his thoughts of disorientation and desertion inward, and it begins to make an impact upon his own spirit, upon his own soul. He is depressed. All of his hope is gone. All of his joy is gone. He can't think about anything positive in the future. He is at the lowest point in his life. In the language of today, he has bottomed out. And he has no hope for the future. Listen to the words of defeat in verse 6. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. He's defeated. It's one thing to be depressed and to have some hope that one day things are going to get better. But David is down at his lowest point, and he sees no hope of it improving. He sees around him that all of those who are against him are stronger than he is. He realizes that he does not have the strength in his little band of men to go out after those who are after him. He feels the walls closing in around him, and there is no way to escape. Defeat is just around the corner, and he describes it in terms of doom. He says, I am imprisoned, and there is no way out. Those are picturesque words, aren't they? What causes a man to be like that? You know that there are any number of things that can cause that to happen. It might be that those emotions come in upon a man who is serving God in some place of leadership and lonely servanthood isolates him from every other person because of his position. It may be that those kind of emotions are felt by a single person. Oh, how many of you who are single have come to say to me, Pastor, amen. I know what you are talking about. I understand that. It is a lonely world. Maybe those emotions can be felt by a person who is growing old and seems to be growing right out of his experience and memories and opportunities with those around him. Those kind of emotions are often felt by those who suffer and who are sick. Sometimes surviving a spouse that you have lived with for many years brings those feelings. Alienation from God, sometimes breaking up with somebody that you love, sometimes being a stranger in a new country or in a new city. Sometimes those feelings come because we are separated from our parents and from our loved ones. All of these emotions David describes are emotions that we have felt at one time or another, perhaps not at that level. But I have good news for you. David doesn't just tell us what it felt like. He gives us a clue as to how to deal with it. 
And this is the most important good news of the whole series, because what I'm going to share with you in the next few moments is a formula that's found in this psalm that, in my estimation, is the best way to deal with depression and loneliness I have ever found in the Word of God. Some of what I may say is going to surprise you, because it's gut-level honest. And yet it is not more honest than the words of David. So listen carefully and don't forget to try what God tells you to do with this information. I watch David in the midst of his lonely experience. I see him with all of these emotions being expressed and I ask myself, what will he do? And he tells me in the words that he has written. The first thing that I notice is that he verbalized. He verbalized. That's step number one. Notice how carefully the scripture records the fact that David cried unto the Lord. Verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then knewest my path in the way wherein I walked, have they secretly laid a snare for me. Verse 5, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge. Verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. Over and over again, David says, I cried unto thee, I expressed how I felt unto thee. He verbalized his problem. Now that may seem like a very trite thing to say from a psalm, but let me tell you that the first step toward healing from a lonely heart is to be able to express what you feel to the God in heaven who is your maker. To be able to come honestly to God and say, Lord, these are the feelings within me. I'm crying unto you. I'm opening my heart to you verbally. This is what I feel like. This is where I am. Our prayers are so benign. We come to God with our pious platitudes and we do all of our praying on the surface while down in here we're hurting desperately. And somehow the best friend we have in the world, the one who has created us and redeemed us, has never yet heard the cry of our heart out of the despair of our situation. One of the things that David teaches me is this, that it's all right to tell God what you feel. That's the beginning. That's the start. That's how a friend should be free to talk with a friend. There's a little book of writings called The Psalms of My Life, written by a man who expresses how he feels. And then this little section of the writing, he tells about an experience where he is away from home and away from his loved ones, and he's staying in a motel, and he writes this little prayer which is the prayer he prayed to God. And I think he's captured what I'm talking about. This is what he wrote. He said, Dear God, I am alone tonight, all alone. A thousand miles from home, there's no one here who knows my name except the clerk, and he spelled it wrong. There's no one to eat dinner with, no one to laugh at my jokes, no one to listen to my gripes, no one to be happy with me about what happened today and to say that's great. No one cares. There's just this lousy bed and the slush in the streets outside between the buildings. I feel sorry for myself and I've plenty good reason to. Maybe I ought to say I'm on top of it. Praise the Lord. Things are great. But they're not. Tonight it's all gray slush. And we say, should a man ever talk to his God like that? 
Don't you think God in heaven knows that that's what you feel? Do you think it's a surprise to him? And don't you think that your father in heaven is a friend who is close enough to you and who cares enough about you that he's willing for you to come and cry out of the despair and loneliness of your soul and verbalize what you feel? I remember the first time I had the courage, verbally, audibly, to tell God, Lord, I really don't feel like talking to you today. I really don't. I want to feel that way, and I know I should feel that way, but Lord, in my spirit and in my heart, I just don't feel like talking to you today. But you know, that's the beginning place. You start from there. God can take you from where you are to where you need to be. Now, the second thing you do is this. You visualize. Listen to what David said. Verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. David didn't even just describe how he felt. He painted God a picture. He said, Lord, let me lay this thing out for you. This is where I am. You see these sorry people you sent down here to help me? The distressed, the debtors, the discontented. These are the folks that are... And he paints the whole sordid mess for God. He just paints it and lays it out in front of him. He said, take a look at this, God. Look at this. David said, I poured out my complaint before God. He let him see the whole thing. That was not only good for God, that was good for David. Now, the thing that David teaches us, not only here but in his other writings, is that it's all right to visualize your problem as long as you keep it in perspective. Do you remember when the people of Israel were at Kadesh Barnea and they all went over there to look at the promised land and they all came back and they all painted a picture, remember? And the majority reporters came back and they painted a picture of the giants and all of the problems over in the land and they painted this whole picture and what did they say? They said, hey, we're in trouble. Those people over there are big. I mean, they're like giants and what was the rest of it? We're like what? Grasshoppers. So the picture they painted was the picture of them and us in the same frame. And then Joshua and Caleb, they went to and they came back and they got their paintbrushes out and they painted the same thing. Did they forget the giants? No, they painted the giants. But they didn't paint us. They painted God, didn't they? They painted the giants and God and they put them in the big... You know what a difference that made? That's why they could vote for the project instead of against it. Because in the frame where their picture was were the giants and God instead of the giants and us. You know, that's what we do so often. We paint our problems and we put us in the frame with them instead of God. What a difference God makes in any painting. Verbalize it. Visualize it. Now here's step number three. Recognize. Verse three. Recognize that God already knows what you're telling him. That's so neat. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, notice this, thou knewest my path. You know, sometimes we tell God all of these things like we want him to find out. He already knows. Sometimes we come to him so tentatively, Lord, not sure I should tell you this. He already knows. You know, it's hard to tell somebody bad news if they don't know. Not near as hard to tell them if they already know. 
And the scripture teaches us over and over again that he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tested me, I shall come forth as gold, Job 23.10. Psalm 37.23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. When we come to visualize and to verbalize our problem of loneliness before God in the same prayer that we paint this picture before God, we need to recognize that he already has seen this show before. And he understands. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, I love to watch the action in this psalm because you see David at his lowest point, and he doesn't know what to do. He cries out to God, and you follow his action, and you realize this psalm is in the Bible for us so that when we're in our private cave, we know what to do. We do what David did, and we end up where David ended up in the joy and, and worship of God. We'll have more from this psalm on Monday. I hope you'll be with us then. Hey, it's Friday. I love to tell you on Friday how important it is to go to church. We've been noticing that many of the people who stopped coming to church during COVID are now coming back. And in the process, many more people. Our attendances are robust, and we're seeing people come to the Word of God. And I think part of it's just because we're pressed there by the pressures of life. And uh, you need to go to church on Sunday. I hope you will. Find a place where God is honored, His Word is taught, and get involved. And then we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point on this good station. Please join us. This is David Jeremiah. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. 10 Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In a world that often feels overwhelming and discouraging, discover encouraging words for a discouraging world. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos, a new book by Dr. David Jeremiah. You'll discover how to face your circumstances with unwavering confidence and hope. Yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $70 or more, Dr. Jeremiah will send you his comprehensive encouraging word set. Request these resources at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Mark Twain once said that there are two times in a man's life when he shouldn't speculate with his money. 
when he can't afford it, and when he can. In other words, investing is safer than speculating. Speculation is like presuming on the future, something the Bible warns against. In his letter, the Apostle James tells a parable of men who plan to go into business and make a lot of money. James warns that they should say, if it is God's will, we will do thus and so. There's a difference between presumption and faith, and the Bible encourages us to engage only in the latter. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's will on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.